All right, hey everybody, good to be with you guys. Um, great to be back here. Um, if you are just joining us, uh, welcome. We are in the fifth week of a series called Unearthed, and it is a look at um, kind of a bizarre and wild passage in, the, in Scripture, in the book of Revelation, uh, the chapters four and five, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff happening there. But basically, what we're looking at is you're seeing sort of a, a, a look, a peek into sort of this heavenly worship service that's going on. And it is basically a look at how we might see our own world while we focus on how God is actually being worshipped in the heavens. And so it's been a very great series. We've seen a lot of great stuff happen. Last week was a really great weekend for us at Mission Viejo. And um, really what we're hoping is that as we begin to get a better picture of God at the center of all things on a throne, that it would reframe the way we see ourselves Reframe the way we see God, and it would reframe the way that we move out into our world. And it's been, it's been really, really great. So um, before we get into today's message, this is the fifth week of that series, would you um, pray with me? And then we'll, we'll invite God um, into sort of our own hearts and respond to him. So let's, um, let's pause for just a moment as we pray. Lord, in all of our lives as busy as they are. For some of us, when we think about the weekend, it's the, the whole weekend itself is a time to exhale, to relax. For others of us, it's when activity really begins to get the most crazy. We take on more home projects. We have kids we have to get to various sports stuff, and all of a sudden, the weekend, which is supposed to be for rest, kind of gets away from us. And so in this moment, Lord, we acknowledge that there can be no project completed, no trip to the store, no kid delivered to a, a practice or a game in these moments. And so we exhale and we pause. Lord, today would you speak to us in a powerful way? Some of us in here, Lord, need to be provoked and to be challenged to do things that are uncomfortable. Some of us, God, require your comfort, your tenderness. And God, we ask for both, that you would meet us here in powerful ways and that you would speak to us in powerful ways, Jesus. So God, as we learn what it means to continue in our worship series about worshiping you, God, would you be revealed to us in powerful and meaningful modes of expressions of worship. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, if you need a Bible, there are some people that would love to pass one out to you. If you're like someone who needs to actually hold a paper, you know, the pages, and that, we got that for you. You want to just put your hand up and let someone know. Otherwise, if you're like, I don't need that, I can just follow on the screen. We got that too, which by the way, the screens you can tell are a little different than last week. If you're here last week, they're a little different. I just want to tell you kind of why that is. Um, one is, um, well, the principal reason is this. As a speaker, it's a little disconcerting when you, when you talk and the people on this side, like looking at the sides of the room, looking, are looking at, to your left. So you're like, everyone pay attention. Everyone looks up there. So now this is really about the insecurity of the speaker. That's all that this is. So that if, you know, there's, so for you guys over here, you're not looking, you're looking across me. So you might be totally distracted. You might be looking up at H7V, which by the way, go get your kid, go rescue them. But you might be looking across the screen, but I think you're looking at me. Whatever. It just is, it's only to satisfy the insecurities of the, of the teacher or the worship leader. So that's all that's happening. It's all that that is, just so you know. 
Um, but yeah, that's a little different in here, and that's kind of what we're doing. Okay, now, what we've been saying throughout this whole series, and what we say all the time, what the Bible tends to point us to, is that we become like the objects of our worship. All the time, this is the picture of what happens. Another way to say it is this, is we begin to reflect the image of the thing that we worship through our lives. We just can't help it. The thing that has our focus, our attention, our money, our priority, whatever that might be in our lives, we begin to reflect and tell the story of that thing. In other words, we become like the image of that thing that we worship. Now we begin to get the image language in the Bible all the way at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. Let me do this too, real quickly. I'm going to be in three places in the Bible, only three. But they're on, like, they're exactly as far as you can get from each other in the Bible, okay? So if you're not super fast at flipping through the Bible, just go to Isaiah 58. We'll be there in a little bit. If you're very fast, we're going to be at, you know, Genesis chapter 1, then all the way at Revelation 5, which is like bookending the whole everything. So just so you know, I'm going to start in Revelation, or Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, which is like the first page of the Bible. So you can start there. So here's what the, what the Bible says about image and about how we ought to tell the story that God's given to us. Here it is in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. This is a very famous passage. Here's what it says. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Let me stop right there just real quickly too. People always ask, God's saying this, but you have the word us there. Isn't that a little weird? How, who's he talking to? There's a, just really quickly, God, the, the way this is written is actually using Trinitarian language. That God is referred, is referred to at the very beginning and says, in the beginning, God. That word God is the word Elohim. It's a plural, sort of singular, masculine form. It's a really weird sort of form of a word. And there is this sort of Trinitarian language that God is in himself sort of a holy us, but he's singular. It's a really wild deal. But that's why it said that there. So this, we'll come back to that in a second. Verse 27, so God created mankind, human beings, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, God's intention for humanity, then, is such that his own story would be told into the world. That's another way of sort of framing this idea of image, God's image. That people would be able to look at the centerpiece of creation, which is human beings, and see a story or a picture about the God who created everything. So, in essence, as we talk about it, we're not talking about God's image as sort of his physical characteristics. If I ask my own kids to sort of draw what they think God is like or what he looks like, you know, we'd probably get a picture. It's kind of like a skinnier version of Santa Claus, like a longer beard. Like, that's what my kids would kind of, that's what, God, that's what God's image is. But we're talking about, clearly all of us know this, it's about God's character, his heart, his intention for all of human beings, for all of creation. And what we kind of are beginning to ask ourselves in this, in this whole context of worship is this. How well is that story, how clearly is that image being portrayed? How well is that story being told in our worship? In other words, are we becoming more like God's intention for us that his story might be told more clearly in the world? Now, flip all the way to Revelation 5. Again, this is sort of, we're talking about God's intention for all of creation, all of humanity, and all of the created everything. And so we start with this sort of image-bearing sort of nature of, of human beings. Let me get to Revelation 5, verse 11. And we've been reading the whole, all of Revelation 4 and 5 a lot of these weekends, but in the interest of time, I just want to just focus on a couple verses in Revelation 5. Verse 11. This is, again, this is, the, this is John receiving a, a vision from 
from Jesus, the revelation from Jesus to John. So this is the long title of Revelation. But here it is, verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. Let me stop right there. I was teaching this to a group of college students. And I said, you know, what's 10,000 times 10,000? And you, you could see them all kind of freeze up like I should know the answer to this. And I, I honestly didn't know. So like last, last night someone goes, it's 10 million. And someone else goes, no, it's 100 million. And I was like, oh, math fight, rad. So um, I think it's 100 million. Someone who's like, can, can add up all those zeros, is that 100 million? Yes, okay, we have, we have math consensus now. Um, but there is, the point here is not to actually add up the, it's not like John is seeing all these angels and he's like, okay, one, could you guys stop moving around so much? Four, seven, you know, like this isn't, this isn't what's happening. All you're seeing is a gazillion angels. And the idea is to say there's an infinite number of angels. There's all, kind, there's all of these angels who are circling around God who sits on the throne. And then around the throne is these living creatures, which sort of representative of creation. And then the elders, which has a lot of other, but there's these people again who are taking off crowns and they're around the throne. So there you go. Verse, uh, let's see. Verse 12, in a loud voice, they were saying, listen to this list. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And the list keeps going. They just can't think. I mean, it's just all this is what's being said. There is this, there is a, again, the Trinitarian language is used in Revelation 4 and 5 about God who sits on the throne, who is not named. And that there's this sort of spirit, the sevenfold spirit of God, as well as the lamb who was slain, meaning Jesus. So there's this Trinitarian language about at the center of all creation. All of creation is bent around and is saying this like long list of what, uh, of how God is worthy of all these things. Verse 13, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen, or it is true. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Now, if you haven't been with us yet before, just to let you know, this is some pretty subversive language. You have, at the, in the ancient world, as this is being written, there is a de- decree, essentially, that the one who sits in the center of the throne, in the, or the sense on the throne in the center of the universe, is Caesar. This is kind of the way everybody understands this. And yet this language says, no, 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 it's not Caesar. It's Jesus. And it's not you, it's Jesus. It's not me, it's Jesus. The one who sits on the, center of the, on the throne in the center of the universe is Jesus. And the whole idea of even worshiping someone other than Caesar is an incredibly sort of controversial idea. And you get this whole expression about how all of creation has bent itself toward the person at the middle, this God, this Jesus at the center of all creation. And over the past couple of weeks, we've been learning about some of the powerful expressions of worship. We talked about how even our own posture, even in here to experience a little bit of a different posture toward God, gives us a different sense of intimacy and belonging with him when we're not in this space. But I, I want to ask you, in all of what we've been experiencing now in the fifth week of this series, is it possible that there's still something missing? You've talked a lot about worship. We've, we've had different kinds of expressions. Is it possible that something is missing? Remember that the, the sort of, the image of the object that we worship is reflected in our own lives. It is the story told throughout our own lives. And the question is, is God's story, is his image being made clear through our worship is God's story is his image being made clear is it understood by those who would observe us that this is exactly who we're about the God who made us the one who in whose image we're created I uh, I just bought a new car Woo! <laughs> thank you um 
It is a um, 1994 Chevy Suburban. <laughs> you are welcome. You are welcome. Um, it is, uh, I bought it for the fuel economy because I just thought, wow, gas prices are going up. And um, <laughs> actually, I, I, I bought the, the car from um, my friend's dad who was getting rid of it. And he just goes, it was a total gift. He's like, hey, I had to just put a bunch of money in repairs. If you just want to pay for the repairs, you can just take the car. And I was like, wow, this is a total, it's awesome. But it's totally not the kind of car that if you knew me, you, that I, you'd pick me to drive it. it um, it's lifted. <laughs> I don't know why everybody laughs when I say that as if, you know, I'm not cool. And I'm not like, I don't know, maybe I need bigger muscles to drive a car that's lifted. But um, it's lifted. It has a custom exhaust <laughs> and it has a subwoofer in it. So it's like. I will run you down and I will mock you with my loud exhaust and the, the bass. I, know, I own no music that really necessitates a subwoofer, but I'm going to buy some and you're going to hear me coming and it's gonna, I'm going to run you over and then I'm going to have to go fill up at the gas station. But, <laughs> but the other day, I, I was, you know, because it's an older car, I had to replace the windshield wipers and I've replaced windshield wipers on lots of cars before. And, you know, so I go to the auto parts store and I buy the right, you know, model number or whatever and I get these I get these things home and I'm I'm trying to replace the windshield wiper blades and it's you know I, I how would I say this in lots of cases and the, the instructions are like just flip a little lever and pop this guy out and put the new guy in. I'm like I could do that so I get there and I'm assuming because the car's a little bit older that it just needs it requires a little bit more force to accomplish this task don't laugh already you don't know how the story ends <laughs> but so what I do I do it all really responsible and good Jesus-following Christian men do is I get there and I just force it until I bend the wiper arm completely. So it's like, it's now it's like if you put a glove on that thing, it would be like, hey, everybody, like, hi. It just, it just is bent completely off where it should be. Uh, you know, and I'm like, oh, man, this is not good. So, of course, what I do, again, is force it back down using my superior strength because I drive a lifted truck now. Just bend it back down. Right to where it should be. I got it. You know, so, so it's all there. And it's, all, it's not perfectly on there at all. And I, realizing from my mistake that I probably should try a different method in removing the other wiper blade from the passenger side. So I just quickly slide that guy off. And I was like, oh, that's how you do it. <laughs> so I'm like, well, you know what? I gotta, this is going to require more effort now, more work than I, I can do. So I'll be fine. I'll drive to work. And then when I get around to it, which will be never, I'll repair these things and kind of go on to it. Well, Meanwhile, it starts to rain <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and I'm at work, I'm at church, and I'm, I have to drive home in the middle of like what appears to be now Florida in a hurricane. There is just sheets of rain coming down. And, there's <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, can't turn, I can't turn the wipers on. I'm going to have to, this is, this is literally going to be driving by faith. I mean, just to see what happens. It's dark, it's night, the rain's coming down. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to drive home. Now, I'm looking through the windshield at what should be a clear picture of cars and streetlights and everything else. And all I see is this sort of awesome orange and red kaleidoscope of color. <laughs> Occasionally, it's red and green. And all the cars, they're, they're a little red. You know, like the, the taillights are a little bit closer than they ought to be to my own car. And I'm just panicked. And I can vaguely tell where I'm supposed to go. I can tell because I've driven this road a you know, number of times, but I can't totally see the lane I'm supposed to be driving in, and I can't see everything around me. I'm just kind of assuming that it is as it ought to be because I don't know. The, the image of what's supposed to be there has been obscured because it's not clean anymore. It's not clear. 
In other words, in our worship, to stretch it out a little bit, to understand what we're talking about here is, is the image of God the thing that ought to be there clear to everybody who would see your own life? In our worship, is that image clear? Is it possible that in our worship, maybe sometimes what we're actually doing is obscuring the image of God when people would look at us, when all of creation would see us? This is a season if you, that kind of goes, it spans between, you know, uh, Ash Wednesday and Easter, that if you grew up in a liturgical, with a church with a liturgical calendar that follows the sort of seasons of the church, this is a season called Lent, some of us, okay? Now, Lent is a time where typically it's sort of, there's, there's three, traditionally there's three kinds of parts to Lent, and we, got, we gave you a card to help you ex- explain this a little. We're going to participate in Lent a little bit today, even if you haven't already started doing that. But I want you to just take this out, just hold it for a second. Because we're going to come back to this in a minute. It's in that little care package of gifts you received, including a bookmark and some envelopes. Uh, but I want you to take that out. Because Lent has three components. It has a sort of fasting or a surrender of things, a giving up of something during the time period, the 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter. There's a time in which people give things up. That's what Lent is most often known for. But it's also a time to be hearing from God, to be listening to His voice and responding to Him in prayer. And then also, the last part of that is that there is what they would traditionally call almsgiving or service to the poor. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of these things today in some more detail. But I want you to hold on to this. We're going to come back to this in a little bit. For me, as, as a staff, um, Kenton, our senior pastor, has all of us together. And he says, okay, what are you guys going to do? What are you guys going to give up for Lent? And so the pressure was on. You know, like, okay, now i got to come up with something. And I have to tell you. So our group around our tables giving up certain things. We're talking about stuff they're giving up. And I say the weakest answer. I go, well, I'm going to give up soda, you know, like soft drinks. And they're like, okay, because you're, you're like all these, you know, no one's going to judge each other's what they're giving up. They don't know how serious it is. And it's like, well, you know, wow, big deal. You know, I'm giving up, you know, food forever or whatever. It's like, oh, wow. So by, by comparison, I just have soda. Now, I don't, we don't have Cokes in our house, soda, whatever in our house. We don't even have those in our house. So I'm thinking this is going to be so easy. <laughs> I'm sure I'll remember God too, but it's just really, it's not going to be that hard for me. So... Remember, the intention here in the, in the fast and the surrendering is that you'd create a hunger within you for God. That's really what it's about. Not that you would just skip something, but that you'd create a hunger for God. And I was like, I just don't want to not feel it that much is all I could think of. So I choose soda. Specifically, um, I, have a, I, have a, I, have a, I didn't realize that how much of a, how would you say this, obsession I have with Diet Dr. Pepper. But I realized that that's the Lord's beverage. And I just want you to know, if you want to join him in his feasting, that's what he'll be having. So... I gave up, I gave this up. Now, in traditional interpretations of Lent, too, there, Sunday is a day of celebration where you're giving up, you're giving up neutral things. You're not giving up things that are like, like ob- obviously or clearly sort of bad or evil. It's not like you're like, well, I gave up stabbing people for 40 days. You know, I just felt like <laughs> after 40 days. I'll get, and then on Sundays, you kind of get a reprieve, a celebration day. So if you're like a person stabber, today's your day. Stab someone. Okay, so, you know, like this is kind of where we, so I gave up soda. And I, and I found here last week in between services there's a refrigerator full of Dr. Pepper. And I was like, I, I looked like I had come, I, looked, I was like an, an explorer lost in the Sahara who had discovered this, this little, and I opened this little mini fridge and I was like, oh, oh, and I just, I'm just like, this is the greatest thing. Lord, don't you see how good this is? I'm so good. It's only Sunday. I'm doing this. It's so awesome. And then, you know, that, and I paired that, which went surprisingly well with a jalapeno cheese bagel. Really good call. Maybe. Uh, and then that night I get into my car. My wife had borrowed my car earlier that morning. And um, 
uh, or in between services. So that night I get in the car and there is, um, there's a, a, a Coke container from Del Taco. And it's like, it's a cherry Coke, you know, and because they had, they pushed the little button down, which is totally useless when you're the only person buying a drink in a car, like cherry Coke, you know, like, well, whose is this? Well, that's mine. So there, it's there. And now this is like a mostly ice melted, diluted cherry Coke. And in most circumstances, if you had like a just sort of warmed over like plate of cauliflower, that's what, how I would feel about this. Like, gross, get that out of here. And it was like, oh, thank you, Lord. I know you're recognizing my sacrifice. And today, Sunday, a day of celebration. And I was like, drank the whole thing like, and finished it going, are you crazy? You, you, you really cannot say that there's not, soda is not your own master. You chose wisely as something to give up because it has been so unbelievable. Now I'm looking at God in all of this. Going. And like yesterday, too, we're at, we finished my son's baseball game, and my mom, who's, you know, take us, she's like, let's all go to McDonald's. And I was like, yay, they have a special, they have a special formula for their Coke. It's so good. I'll have iced tea. I mean, it was like the total, like, goo, I just, everything is coming upon me. So, I keep looking at God like, do you see what I'm doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if you saw, I've kind of given this up, except for Sundays where I go crazy. But I, I've been giving this up, and I'm just ready for you to pour out blessing on me. Just, whatever it is, give it to me, more like the cherry Coke and the cup holder on Sunday. That was great. More of that, God, because I'm just ready for you to pour it out on me. I know that the whole idea of sacrifice and the sort of surrender and the fasting is about hunger for you, but I know it's really about you wanting to do something awesome for me. So I'm ready for it. Pour it down on me. Let's look at Isaiah 58, (laughs) starting in verse 2. Now you can sense this is God's voice spoken through the prophet Isaiah to to his people. And here's what he says in verse 2. Listen to the tone here. (laughs) For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. And they ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? In other words, this is totally me in this past week. Hey, God, look what I'm giving up. I'm ready for you to do something great. Do it right now. Look what I'm doing. My act of worship, my surrender, I'm giving something up, this sort of fasting. Give it to me, God. I'm ready. I gave up Cokes. It's really courageous. Okay, now here. Verse 3. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. And in striking each other with wicked fists, which, by the way, wicked fists will be my next movie coming out very shortly. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Verse 5. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or, and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Whoa. There's clearly a, an opinion that God has about the way that his people worship. If you were to say that there is, if, if you were to ask, does God, God, doesn't, you know, does God play favorites in the Bible? The answer is yes, he does. God always has a bias for the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. Always. That is his own bias. And you have this question which sort of is rising to the surface, which is, Fasting is sort of like raising of hands, that it's supposed to reorient us to the one who sits on the throne at the center of all things, God, Jesus, right there in the middle of all things. And we sort of have to wrestle with how, does we, how, how we worship in here, how does that actually sort of reposition us relative to the throne? 
And what does God want to do with the rest of our week when we're not in here? Because somehow that seems to be the telling of God's story, reflecting his image into the world more clearly. How will God's story, his image, be made clear to the world in our worship? Verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Evidently, the way in which God's image, his story will be reflected into the world most most clearly is when our worship shows these kinds of things. And listen to the language. It's, It's breaking oppression. It's clothing the naked. It's feeding the hungry. It's welcoming the stranger into our own home. And then there's this other, I always think it's just sort of funny. It's this, the last part of that, which is the, uh, and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Like, of all these things, welcome a stranger, feed a, a hungry person, clothe a naked person, and also take care of your annoying cousin who just keeps bothering you. Like, there's also this other little asterisk in there, like, you know what, don't forget about your own family who you kind of ignore. Return their phone call every once in a while. But these courageous things evidently are the way in which God's worship will be told. His story, his image will be conveyed. And if you continue on in the, in the passage we're going to read in a second, I want you to pay attention to all of the God image sort of scenarios that are painted here. If, you were, if I was to ask you, what are some of these names or titles or offices or functions that God actually serves? It's talking about how his people, as we're going to read this in a second, the next couple of verses. How his people live out these kinds of things in their own life. You're going to see that when his people live out this kind of worship, his image His story goes out before them. Listen to this in that context. Starting in verse 8, it says this. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, the pointing finger, and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf, of the hung, on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring for the, for whose waters never fail. In verse 12, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. And will raise up the age-old foundations. And you will be called repairer of broken walls. Restorer of streets with dwellings. You will be called restorer. You will be called repairer. You will be the one who takes upon yourself as an act of worship to break the chains of injustice. To put on God's own bias for the poor the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. Those are the things that kind of God is kind of most has his bias for. When you put those things on, you become the restorer. You become the repairer. There is this link in worship between God's heart for, the, for justice and mercy and compassion that cannot be separated. In other words, our sort of experience of worship in here, however dynamic and freeing it might be, is not necessarily all that God is after. What God is after is that his story is told, his heart for the, for the poor, the orphan, the widow, the lonely, the outcast, that that story is being reflected to them by his worshipers. 
the quality of our worship will not be measured by how free we felt to sort of kneel or sing or raise our hands in here. Rather, sort of the quality of our worship will be sort of gauged on how does raising our hands or kneeling or singing or whatever it might be propel us to be better image-bearing storytellers in the rest of the world. As we orient ourselves around the throne, the one who sits on the throne, how does that actually impact the way that we tell God's story to the rest of the world? Does the world see us as people who run and hide to have a private little worship service inside these walls, or do they see us engaged in God's heart for those people in the rest of the world? Is his story being told clearly? How will your worship tell that story? Repairer. Restorer. This whole series we've been talking about, how do we break the sort of barriers that keep us from, one, from being the worshipers that God intended us to be? How do we break through things that are a little bit uncomfortable? How do we get to places where we're actually worshiping in this kind of honest reflection of God's story in the world? And our barriers are a lot. I told you guys last week that I have, I have this gigantic fear of raising my hands up. And it has, it, even to, I thought, I'm over it. I conquered it last week. And to come in here this morning even to sing, I was like, I just don't, I'm okay. I'm trying it, you know? And we talked about this idea of overcoming barriers. And I want you to get, get a glimpse of what it looks like from a couple of people who are going to tell you a story on a video about what it means to sort of break through these barriers that God's story, his image, might be told more clearly in their worship. So check this out.
Ah, I love that video. I love, uh, you guys might recognize Maher and Noel. Uh, they're part of our MV crew here. And um, I should introduce myself first, I suppose. I'm Barbara Dare, for those of you who don't know me. And I have the privilege of being an outreach director here at Mariner's Mission Viejo and the opportunity to talk to you about outreach. Uh, this weekend. Um, but I love that because it's such a great representation of, of just the impact that we as Mariner's Church and all the campuses are making uh, here and around the world. And, um, but I want to just focus on, you know, how's God calling us here at Mission Viejo to change our community here? And what's he going to do with all of us that are sitting in these seats? And how is he going to um, use us to be the hands and feet of Jesus? And what's your barrier? Like, what are the barriers and what's living us from living that true life of worship uh, that Isaiah 58 talks about. What's, what's your barrier? You know, is it time? Don't have enough time? We all have that, right? Is it, um, is it judging? Maybe judging the poor and those in need? Like they're lazy, they're criminals, they don't deserve my time. I know for me, as I've been processing this, like, what's my barrier and, and what gets in the way? And I have just been kind of rocked by reflecting on the last few months. And um, for me, I've realized that I'm okay being uncomfortable as long as it's on my terms. Like, I just want to kind of manage my uncomfortability. And over the years in serving around the world, I've, I've had the privilege of, of going all kinds of places, including to Haiti, nine days after the earthquake, leading a trip, a scout trip there with nothing but backpacks on our back. I mean, that was pretty uncomfortable. Um, but when it came to a certain something, I realized that I, uh, there's one place I haven't been courageous enough to go, and that is making a decision to parent. You see, uh, my husband Gino and I have not been able to have children naturally, and over the years, we couldn't seem to get on the same page about um, alternatives like fostering or adoption. And it seemed that sort of finding out we were pregnant was a much easier way to enter into parenthood than signing up to, to do that. You guys can relate. I'm getting some response there. Yeah. So it was just, uh, it's been a very painful process for us. And last November, uh, things kind of changed, though, Gino joined me on a faith adventure to Kenya. Faith adventures are what we call our missions trips here at Mariners. And um, God, uh, God, I'm calling you God, Gino. (laughs) Gino had never been on a faith adventure before. And uh, over the years, we discussed it. And quite frankly, his barrier, and he said I can share this, is that um, taking one or two weeks to go on a faith adventure and serve the poor and needy, you know, it was kind of like, ah, that might be a bit of a challenge, you know. And, um, and then even for us as a couple, last November was a horrible time for us to go. We were leading Rooted Together. We were in the middle of the Spread the Love campaign here. I mean, holidays were coming. It was crazy. You know, it was just nuts. But we went. And God used that trip to change our hearts about children, particularly one day we visited Kaibera. And for those of you who don't know, Kaibera is the uh, largest slum in Kenya, and it's over one million people. And this one day, we went deep into the heart of Kaibera. We went to this home for orphans and children in need. And this is where we met Jahida and Viviana. And little Jahida and Gino's arm, she was just, everyone was taking pictures because, I mean, this little girl just collapsed into Gino's arms and was so happy to be in the arms of a safe, loving man. She was just so content. And neither of the girls actually wanted to leave our arms. Even when all the other kids, um, our team was getting them, like, dancing and singing, they were just joyful. And I, we, we both were like, do you want to get down and play? And they were like, mm just like held, you know, held us tightly. 
And after a while, the craziest thing happened. Viviana's mom came up to me, and she came up to me like very shyly and kind of meek and looked at me, and she said, um, will you take my little girl? And I'm like, what? Like, I'd heard that before. I'd heard stories of that, but it never happened to me, you know, personally. And I just, I asked her, I said, why do you want me to take your daughter? And she said, um, will you just please take her and give her an education? And I thought, oh, I was praying, like praying like crazy. And I'm reflecting on stories that I, that I had heard while we were there of parents that had worked really hard to educate their kids. And maybe they weren't in Kybera, but that's just what I referred to as I was praying. I was like, I just said, you can, you can do this. I said, no, I can't take your daughter, but you can do this. You can educate your daughter. It's going to be really hard, but you can do this. It was just crazy. And that day changed the way Gino and I spoke about just our future roles as parents. And by the end of that trip, we agreed to take a next step and to come home and to be a safe families uh, here in Orange County. And for those of you who don't know, Safe Families is a ministry that um, helps keep kids out of the foster care system. So it, it allows us to provide a temporary home, like one to three months, for kids who are um, with families in crisis. And because uh, once kids get into the system, their lives completely change. So we agreed that we would do that, and, and um, I don't even know if we actually talked about this. I think it was in my head that, like, we're just going to wait till after the holidays, and we'll do it in January, and, and, uh, and then we still put it off. It's like, ugh, what are we doing? And for me, all sorts of excuses kept coming to mind, like, our house is too small, we're too busy, we have company coming, and literally, like, w- how will this affect my, literally, my comfortable home, my safe haven? And then I realized that I'm perfectly okay entering out, outside environments and serving the poor and those in need and stepping into their environments. But them entering my environment, that was just like too much. That was like too uncomfortable. And so last week, we hosted our out-of-town guests, and it was a good excuse to finally convert our office into the spare bedroom. <clears throat> and we were trying to make decisions on how we wanted the room and how we wanted to lay it out. And finally, it hit me like, wait a minute, our driving value needs to be what does it need to be for us to be a safe family? How does that space need to be for us to be a safe family? So last week, Gino got the room already, and I came home from work one day, and there was a bed in the corner. And I was like, oh, we're ready. We're ready for a little person to sleep there. Oh, okay, you know. So we filled out the application this week, and uh, thus begins our journey into what parenthood is going to look like and the way God has designed that just for us. And I know it's just probably a first step, and who knows what the years ahead are going to look like, but we're taking that step. And the cool thing, too, is I realized is over the last year serving in Rooted with Gino and uh, going to Kenya with Gino, God just showed me what a blessing it is to serve alongside Gino. And, my, and so that we get to step into this next ministry adventure together is a huge blessing as well, and I just am excited to see what God's going to do with that. But the craziest thing of this that just rocks me is that as God is restoring me and the brokenness of my past, and some of you may have heard my story in the fall, he's repurposing my past, and then he's sending me, broken little old me, to go out and restore others. Like he, I, I am a restorer, capital R, amen. That's right. It just rocks me. Oh, thank you. It's 
God. <laughs> and this is exactly what Isaiah 58 says. And I was, I was preparing for this yesterday, and I'm reading Isaiah 58, and I could not get through that without just crying of what he's calling us to, every single one of us, to be restorers. You know, he says... <clears throat> Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up old foundations, and you will be called Repair of Broken Walls, capital. Restore of Streets and Dwellings, capital. He gives us that title. And then I looked up what the message says. It says it a different way, and I love it. It says, you'll use old rubble and past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything Restore ruins, rebuild, and renovate, and make the community livable again. Us. All of us. That's what we are. It's crazy. So God restores us so that we can go out and be his restorers. And our story is all part of God's story that he's writing. Like, he uses us in that. And he writes our story, and it's all part of his grand adventure as we go out and repair the world. And so our role is to bring healing and reconciliation to proclaim the good news to those in need through word and through deed, and to be world changers. God promises beautiful things when we do that. You know, he says, you'll satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden and spring, like a spring whose waters will, will never fail, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer, here I am. Don't you want that? Like, I want this for us. I want this for you. But what's holding us back? What's holding you back? I think there's a lot at stake here. You know, it's like daily we can choose our lives to live with like meaning and purpose and value, or we can just kind of waste our one and only life pursuing cheap, empty thrills that only bring temporary satisfaction. So, I, you know, we've all been called to be world changers. What is the life that God is calling you to? What is the life God is calling you to? We've been looking over the past few weeks about worship and what does worship look like in our lives. And as Isaiah 58 talks about, serving the poor and those in need is, is, is a critical act of worship. But then we're talking about Lent too. And how does God want us to respond through fasting, through prayer? What does he want us to put on our heart? And as we enter into this next a few minutes, we're going we're gonna to continue that act of worship, and we're going to give you the gift of time, and it is a gift, to just take that card that Jeff had talked about earlier, and there's some questions on there, and whether you have a pen or not, it's okay if you have a pen, go ahead and respond. If you don't, just ponder those questions and ask God, who do you want me to be? What story do you want to write in my life that I can be a part of your story, God? What are those steps you want me to take in fasting and prayer and serving? You'll see on the back there's some ideas about serving if you need to be spurred on. But take this time and be courageous. Don't be wimpy. Be courageous right now. And just sit in this space. This is a sacred time. And respond to what God is putting on your heart.
Okay. Hopefully you'll put that card in a prominent place in your Bible or somewhere that's just going to remind you of either what God was putting on your heart right now or just a continued conversation that you're going to be having with him and asking him, how do you want me to respond and who do you want me to be? But as we continue worshiping together, as we always talk about, another act of worship is our offering. And uh, so we're going, to go in, we're going to go into the offering. But there's some things I want you to know about the offering uh, before we get started. You may or may not know that our outreach ministries are funded all by you with above and beyond giving. Meaning, it's not like we say, we're going to take 10% of the church budget and put it aside for outreach. We don't have it as part of our church budget. It's totally what you guys give towards outreach. So we don't have government funding or grants or anything like that. Um, and it's also not like, oh, I'm just going to redirect my normal tithes to outreach this week. <laughs> you know, and this is sacrificial giving as God puts it on your heart above and beyond. Uh, we really value every dollar you give. And we want to make it um, the most impactful kingdom investment. And we stand on the shoulders of 25 years of outreach experience on the Irvine campus. And as we're launching here at Mission Viejo, we can follow uh, some of the stats that we know. We know that historically 70, not 75%, 92 cents of every dollar actually goes to ministry programs. The national average is actually 75%, 75 cents. And uh, we actually leverage every dollar so that it's actually, the impact's like $4 worth because all of our ministries are led by staff and, I mean, I'm sorry, by volunteers and by leaders in the community that are following God's heart and we as staff come alongside you. So you're the army that are leveraging every dollar to make it the value of $4. And so while those are sort of, those are really great things for you to know in the head, what I care about is our hearts. And that's what I really want to talk to you about. Is I, if, I, if Isaiah 58 is, is what we are about and, you know, worship is caring about justice and fighting oppression, then the most tangible next step is giving. And it's not because mariners need the money or because God needs the money. It's because I need to give. You need to give. We need to give. We are taught that where our money goes is where our heart goes. And the thing is, is you've been very generous in other areas. And the building campaign rocked it. Any opportunities we have on the patio for outreach, quite frankly, you guys kind of get chipped 11 o'clock service because, the other, I mean, th- things are gone. Very generous. Um, but the thing is, is we're not where we need to be yet. When we, and we need to grow our hearts for the generosity of the poor. We need to take a next step. And I'm just being honest with you guys in this. So maybe you haven't ever given before, and this is the chance for you to take a first step in giving, but many of you have been through Rooted, and, and you kind of, you've been through this conversation, you know who God's calling you to be, to be a world changer, and to take that next step. And um, quite frankly, we need the poor more than they need us, and many of you know that. And so we have a vision for who we want to be as a church, and this offering shapes the heart of our church. So, you have the envelope. It's the blue envelope. And if you have any questions about where, like, ideas where money goes, if you open up the flap, you'll see that there's some examples of a certain amount of money and what that could go towards. As I call the ushers up, I just want to pray over our offering that God move mightily through this act of worship.
come on forward. God, thank you for this opportunity to shape our hearts. God, we want to be a church that is making an impact in this community and in this, and in this world. God, please uh, speak to each of us uniquely in the ways that you want us to grow. Shape our hearts into being generous givers. Help us to be courageous right now. Help us to take this courageous step in worshiping you and that this is an act of worship. Thank you in advance for what you're going to do through us and through this church. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen.